As the servers collect um, our offering today, our offerings today, uh, let me just kind of share with you um, something that fits very naturally, actually, with what we're doing and uh, the text I'm about to preach from. Um, If I were to say to you these words, you may not know exactly what they mean, or you may know what they mean. Uh, If I say them just real quickly, Stillwater Cares, you might go, yeah, I'm a college student here, and I can tell this city's different. I say, Stillwater Cares, and you go, yeah, that's right. When we struggle through adversity, I've grown up here all my life, and Stillwater really is different. Sure, all of that, I get. But actually, I'm, I'm putting capital on Stillwater and a capital on Cares, So it's not just a description of Stillwater, it actually is something that a few years ago, um, it was put in the heart of one particular person, he began to share that desire and that need for Stillwater to not just be a generic community of caring, but to be a rather intentional organization to pull together churches and other organizations to say, that the Bible teaches that we are to give to the least of these, that the Bible teaches that we are to care for those who are less fortunate, that the Bible teaches that we are to be ambassadors and agents of change and transformation to all people. And so they came together and they said, listen, there are some intentional things that we can actually do. Instead of it being Sunnybrook is doing its own thing, and we do. Part of what you just gave today will go to those people who are a part of this community of faith and not a part of this community of faith who have needs. And not just us, so we do it and Life Church does it and Eagle Heights does it and all these different churches do it, but how do we collectively come together? And not just churches, but how do we collectively come together? Now churches do it for our reason, the glory of God, at least we should. And we love people because we, we know who God is and he loves people. But then there are other organizations, too, that want to come along and just be kind and gracious. And how do we make sure that instead of us doing our thing and they do their thing and they do their thing, that we can all come together and do it together, do it like in a united effort? And so Stillwater Cares is actually an organization that had a chance to go to a luncheon not that long ago and um, to hear the new director of Stillwater Cares and be really excited about how Sunnybrook can be a part of this and can share in part by taking up an offering. It's not all that we do. Here's what I'm not saying. The sermon's gonna help with this. What I'm not saying is, hey, one thing that we can do is write a check and then go on with our lives. I think if you've been around long enough, you know that's just not who we are. I'm not asking you to consider writing a check so that you can go on with your life. I'm, I'm asking you that through your resources and also through your prayers and also through um, the understanding and the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, that we would be a church that would come alongside an organization and help them accomplish the great purpose that God has of us as Christian people literally being salt and light, but also agents of transformation. They, they do a number of different things to help those people. We would use this phrase, who seem to fall through the cracks. That hopefully, just even if you're human, if you can fog a mirror this morning, you should have this in you at some level, Right? That just, it breaks my heart to think of those people who are, who are struggling or who are trapped in a cycle of struggling. And so Stillwater Cares is an organization that, that literally through things called Community Tracker can help people get the help that they need. One of the phrases that they keep using, I'm sure you've heard this, we're not the first ones to invent this, but instead of giving a handout, we give a hand up. So it's not just about putting money in people's hands, it's, it truly is coming alongside of them and helping them in a multitude of ways. And next Sunday, not today, next Sunday, 
we are going to take up an offering specifically for that work, for that ministry. And so what I'm asking you, what, what, uh, what the leadership here is asking for you to do is to prayerfully consider uh, being a part of that. But please hear me. If, if you are getting the sense that, hey, so if I do this, can I go on with my life? <laughs> with all due respect, I think it'd be better if you just kept your money. I think this is what I love about Christian giving, and the Bible teaches this, that if you're just trying to appease your conscience, it might be better that your conscience not be appeased. Think about that. That if every gesture that we do is to appease our conscience, then, then maybe our conscience shouldn't be appeased. Maybe it would be good, good for us to recognize, wow, like our heart really isn't in it for the best of reasons. And so I'm asking you to pray through that. Because we as a church, by the way, I'm now in my sermon. Because we as a church, <laughs> three other things I'm thinking, but okay. But we as a church need to recognize that the reason why I say that is because we, we, we must have integrity with what we believe about the gospel and what we believe about God and then how we live our lives. There, there must be integrity, the definition for integrity, wholeness, complete, not just good, Okay, because I think you can have like a, a certain level of, we wouldn't use the word usually like this, but integrity is like this idea of whole or consistent all throughout. But when we use the word integrity, we usually mean like good throughout, well-meaning throughout. And therefore, as we hit this text, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, as we hit this text this morning, what we're going to be dealing with is this question of um, what does it actually mean for, for us, and we'll look at the Bible and see how that relates to us, what does it mean for us to be like Jesus? If I were to say that, we need to be like Jesus. You know, we're in this series, Jesus the King, and we got the preparation who is he, born of a virgin, who is he? And we kind of fumble through the first few chapters and we really see Matthew putting these pieces together. This is who Jesus Christ is. And then all of a sudden he stands up and he preaches an incredible sermon. This is what kingdom life looks like. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the, and he describes what kingdom life thinking, what kingdom life actions, this is how we give, this is how we pray, this is how we fast. We build our lives on the words of Christ. This is what kingdom life looks like. And then Jesus goes right after that, chapters eight and nine, and we're finishing up nine today. Jesus talks about and describes literally like what it's going to look like. And he's healing people and he's freeing them from oppression. And so Jesus is actively engaged, pushing back the forces of evil and bringing in the forces of light, but not the generic light, God. And Jesus who is light. And this is what Jesus is doing. And as the chapter ends, we're going to be dealing with a bit of a summary statement. And then we shouldn't be too surprised that what we actually see is Jesus then sending them out and saying, hey, I want you to be like me. I want you to do like me. If I were to say to you, we really should be more like Jesus. Where do you go in your head? Like, where, where, does the, where do you feel convicted? You really need to be like Jesus. Yeah, I know, I probably shouldn't talk like that. Yeah, sometimes I just, you know, I get angry or I get excited or I just get lazy in my thinking and I say stuff I shouldn't say. Yeah, I really, I really shouldn't talk like that. You know, you really need to be more like Jesus. Yeah, I know, I really shouldn't look at those things. Like, I, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't look at those things because those images are gonna linger long in my mind and, and I really need to be more like Jesus and I really shouldn't look at those things. 
You know, you really need to be more like Jesus. I know I shouldn't laugh at those things. Like, I know that those shows really do. They kind of, they, they make me giggle, they make me laugh. And, and, and then I begin to look at it. Wow, I'm laughing at the things that Jesus died for. I know I really shouldn't laugh at those things. It's like a children's song, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little sense of humor, what you laugh at, right? Sure. And, and by the way, I, I think it's good for us as followers of Jesus, as maybe in this room today, as potential followers of Jesus or seekers of Jesus, that we look at this and we say, yes, ethics matters. Ethics. Like that whole idea being good and being, like there, there is a sense in which that matters, but I would argue ethics runs deep. And so often when we think about ethics, we really think more like the children's song than the Bible. We think more of like controlling certain elements and it's more of what we don't do. It's more of the things that we restrain ourselves from. And that's what it actually means to be like Jesus. And I would say, kind of. But, but I, I would argue that's not what he desires. I, I would even tell you, and this is true, this is what confuses a lot of our people today. Have you heard this? Like, I know a lot of people in the world who aren't even Christian, and they live a lot more like Jesus than you guys do. Have you heard that? I know so-and-so. They live a lot more like Jesus than you do. Hmm. What are they saying? And what's interesting is, what they're kind of describing is a certain morality, and is that what the gospel produces? And the answer is no. That, that is just part of what is being described, and it's interesting that when Jesus sends out his disciples, he doesn't say, because there are a lot of people saying bad things, and you need to get them to stop. There's a lot of people seeing some bad things, and you really need to get them to shield their eyes. That there's a lot of really warped senses of humor and you really need to help them understand. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to go and be like me. And here's what I want you to hear. We too often focus on or are or, or sometimes satisfied with moral modification sin management, and we fail to recognize that Jesus Christ did not come so that he could make a nicer, kinder, more polite with our mouths people. He came as an agent. He is providing for us an agency of transformation in the world. That's what he's calling us to do and to be. That's what he's saying. I want you to not just look at my and hear me, ethics really does run deeper. Not just my ethics in the things that I don't do, but my ethics in the things that I do. And look at how he describes it here. To be like Jesus is truly to live like Jesus. See, I, I can't live like Jesus, i.e. be sinless. I can't do that. I can't live a sinless life. But, but I can mirror a lot of things by his power, by the transforming Holy Spirit that now lives in me, and Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, describes it this way. And Jesus himself, we'll start with him, always should start with him. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, because what Jesus did, I mean, he would be the first one to go, really? Who told you that you don't have to preach? I mean, sermon. I mean, who told you that you don't have to declare, or that you don't have to witness, that you don't have to speak about who I am and what I've done? Jesus goes everywhere, not just quietly helping people. WWID, what would I do, right? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't have a what would I do bracelet. 
No, Jesus is actually going and saying, listen, let me, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about who I am. Because as I touch you and heal you, as I, as I, as I raise you back from life, in the end, that by itself is not going to give you the real truth about God's plan of salvation. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, God's reign. Here, here kingdom, think God's reign. God's power, God's influence, God's work. The kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. And so he got him a Hallmark card. He tweeted, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for all you Jews today. (laughs) You know, whatever. Hey, he sent just a quick text. Hey, want you to know I'm thinking about you. Peace out. You know, that's, that's... what, what, the word there, by the way, all those things are, are, are a fine start. Truly, they are. I mean, we're really blessed on staff. We get the occasional card from people. I keep, I think I've kept every card I've ever gotten in ministry. I have a huge file of them. So they, they are, they are genuinely appreciated for us. I just, it can't end there. Like I could, I could hire someone to send you a card. Is that what you need? I really could. I could say, hey, Jill, by the way, just go through the church roster, right? Send them all a card, Jim, thinking about you. How many of you, you know those cards? Where do they end up? Trash. I don't keep the card from the generic person who sent, you know what I mean? I don't keep those cards. So Jesus has compassion. Literally, it means to be like moved in his innermost being. That's what it means. He looks, as you see here, he looks at the crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He looked at them, and it goes on to say, because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd, and he was a shepherd. And I want to just remind us that as Christians, it's not that we have the occasional I feel sorry for, Again, going back to the, have I told you about the Stillwater Cares offering that we're taking up next week? Like, this is why it it doesn't really fit to go, yeah, you know, I should help poor people. No, it's it's about, like, we, we, we don't win. By win, I mean, like, bring pleasure to God. Like, we really don't win. That's why I never really look at the offerings that we give um, and we, we do, we, we regularly take up offerings in our community. I never really look at the offering in terms of by the number and go, wow, we're, we're doing well or we're not doing well. I want to say, well, we gave a lot or we didn't give a lot. But I have no idea if just one person was really faithful and majority of us weren't. Or if all of us were kind of faithful. I mean, how, how do you know? See, what, what, what we are searching for, what we are striving for is to be men and women, if you're a follower of Christ, Men and women of integrity who are moved with compassion. Not apathy. Not, it doesn't matter. Not, oh yeah, but just genuine, ugh. It just hurts to think about what's going on there. And I'm moved by that. It's kind of what happened in second service last week when we gathered together and we prayed for Ryan and Rachel and Rachel's family, Rachel's brother who passed away at 2.44 last Sunday afternoon. And it was interesting, I, I think of my wife when I think of this because she was describing and she would talk about how she was praying for, for Rachel's mom. Where are you, Rachel? 
and, and I could tell by the way she was describing it, it was like she was feeling it, you know? How many moms know what I'm talking about, right, especially? Some of you dads were going, man, I'm really praying for Rachel's dad, and there was, when I was at the funeral, it just, it was, it, it was different. It wasn't, I feel sorry for you, sweetheart. It was somehow like, like sharing it, like embodying it, like, oh, they just, I hurt, not, not, I hurt not for you, I hurt with you. See, and that's compassion. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just hurt for people. Now, that's, that's, I, I would argue like that's how the world can feel. But genuine compassion moved into the innermost of our beings will take a work of the spirit in which we come alongside and we, we agonize with them. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, and this is the part that caught me off guard, even though I knew it was coming. The harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, I really want you guys to organize yourselves very, very well. And I want you to come up with a master plan of attack. And I want you to get this really new cool database uh, plan called, um, uh, or called Basecamp, which is a really great management of organizational structures. And I want you guys to take your God-given gifts and abilities and change the world. Amen? See, that's what I thought he was going to do. Actually, I knew he wasn't going to do it, but that's what I do. Like, it's interesting how, like, even as I, as I was getting ready for this message, it was like, hey, come on, brothers and sisters, we got to do this. God has given you gifts and abilities. God has given me gifts and abilities. We need to organize ourselves, and we need to get up, and we need to do this. There's no reason why we can't. Think of all the resources that exist in this room. Think of all the abilities that exist in this room. Think of all of the money that exists in this room. We can do this. <laughs> Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Are you ready? Here's where it hit me. I know how to organize. And I, I really do. I, I, I'm, I think I can do a reasonably good job of motivating people. Why, why is it that I don't get how important it is to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into his harvest, into his field. One of the reasons why is I don't know how much I really think about like the world or Stillwater is God's field. It's just a place where people live, place where people go to school. You know, we're, we're here for a time, we're here for a season instead of recognizing like the Apostle Paul does that God is the one who organizes the times and the dates and the places in which people live, this is Acts 17, so that they might reach out to him and perhaps find him. So I don't really think of it as God's field. I also think that we too quickly talk about what we can do and we forget that we can do nothing apart from God. No, that's not true. We can do a lot of really cool things that last temporarily and have temporary influence without God. We really can. I mean, the real truth is we can do a lot of things. We're not, Christians aren't the only people who are involved with Stillwater Cares and Christians aren't the only people, by the way, not the only people who can make a difference in the world. I'm not here to tell you that. Only Christians make a difference. No, that's not true. But it's, it's Christians who do it for the glory of God. It's the Christians who recognize that God is the one who gave them everything. 
See, it's, it's Christians who, um, who are called by God to recognize the compassion that he has, the power that he has, and then to mirror that for others for his namesake. That's what it means to be Christian. That's fundamentally what it means to be, to be like Christ, to recognize what he has done for us and then to then go and do that for others, right? That's what it means to be Christian. And yet that is what we struggle with so often. What, what, what Matthew is pointing out, what Jesus is, is speaking so clearly is this, is that God is the ultimate source of kingdom workers. Let me ask you this question. How many times do you pray, God, send out workers into his harvest field? God, okay, you, you might have heard the word pastors. I didn't say pastors. I didn't say, God, we need more youth ministers, which by the way, we do. But we don't just need youth ministers. We, we need like people who will work with youth because the youth of this nation are really messed up. That should get an amen. And we, we need Christian people who will work with college students because the only thing more messed up than a high school student is a college student. Amen. And by the way, we need people who will do ministry alongside of adults because if you've been messing up in junior high and high school and college, and then you got the rest of your life, the most messed up people I've ever met in my life are adults. Honestly. I mean, I, I've been, I, for years I've been practicing living like an idiot, right? And that's what an adult can be. Like I'm a professional crazy person. Life without Christ. So I'm, I'm not saying ministry in, in terms of that sense, like the, the profe- capital M ministry, Jim, Paul, you know, blah, 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 right? Sure. But that is such a small sliver of what God is calling us to do and to be. Okay, so don't, don't hear just workers, ministers, and pastors. Jesus Christ says, I want you to get on your knees and to earnestly pray. And by the way, if you think this is a small thing, let me ask you, how many times have you done this in the last month? If I didn't have this text, I think I could occasionally tell you, me neither. I haven't either. I can go a while. I mean, now when I was at the college and I was training people for ministry, it was like on my radar. But you know, now that I'm in the church and I'm not training people for ministry, I'm sorry. I have in many ways failed you because I have not been praying. Now, let me, let me, let me change this around a bit. I have not been praying as passionately and as earnestly as I should be that God would send out you into his field. That changes it a bit, doesn't it? God, send out workers into his field, whoever they might be, wherever they might go, amen. Now, I mean, we really need to do a better job of this, is that getting on our knees and praying that God would send out us into his field in light of who Jesus Christ is. Because why? Because God is the one who gives and God is the one who, another word would be graces, God is the one who graces kingdom workers with his authority to make his difference in the world. And it's so important that we understand this concept of grace, not just that it saves me from my sin, but this concept of grace that everything I have is a gift from God. Everything that I have is from him and for him. See, when you look at your time, whose is it? Your time or is it God's gift to you that's your time? Is it, is it your abilities? Is it your career? Is it your family? Or are the, all of these things gift? 
and how you approach that and how you respond to that is probably a really good picture of how, like, how much like Jesus you actually are. My, my, my boys understood this when they were little, this idea of gift, and it really freed them up to be incredibly generous. I'll give you an example. So when my boys were little, I had no, I'd, I'd take them out and we would eat out. And um, I'd always heard that Christians were really, really bad tippers and it always bothered me. And so I wanted to teach my kids just how valuable it was. And so they're all really, really little. And I would say, hey, listen, did you see our, our server today, uh, Jennifer? Wasn't she a nice server? Yeah, she was great. Well, there's this thing called a tip. What's that? Okay. So you take a look at our Applebee's bill, $52, okay? And, and we're going to give her a little bit extra. Now, 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 I want you to think about this. Like, if you were Jennifer, how much would you want? Like, if, if you were Jennifer, what do you think we could write in this tiny little line right here that would make Jennifer happy? What do you think right here that could, could, could give glory to What do you think we could do? This small little thing, what could we do? And my kids, they went crazy with that idea. $1,000. $2,000. We should just write, okay, now, they're writing it on my credit card. And they loved it. So I, I quickly helped them realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not, giving, them, I'm not giving Jennifer $1,000. But occasionally, we, we gave some pretty sweet tips to Jennifer. And it was kind of funny, and, and they loved it. Can I, can, I, can I pick the tip this time? Okay. Okay, why am I always paying for these things? But that's fine. Yep, you can pick, Max. It's your turn. And then I remember one day, I can't remember which one it was, but I remember one day, I said, how much do you want to give? And it was so-and-so's turn. And it was, I mean, we had gotten down to kind of a normal world. So on a $52 bill, um, we should give her $20. Okay, that's, that's, that's nice. I mean, right? $20 is a pretty good tip, Correct. Yeah, that's really, really nice. And now they're a little bit older, right? Which means they have bank accounts at the bank we bank at. $20, sign my name. And then I looked at whichever one it was and I said, hey, by the way, I'm taking $20 out of your account tomorrow. And what was interesting is they looked at me and went, okay. Like they didn't complain, they didn't want to change it. Now, by the way, a couple of things that we could think, wow, your kids sure are generous. I really do believe in part. But they also still don't understand the value of $20, do they? Right? They're not paying bills, right? I'm still paying the mortgage, right? It's, it's, it's fascinating. But I look back at just how easy it was for them to just live free, to give free, because it wasn't really theirs. And you might think, and I have thought, wow, they don't get it, do they? Or do they really get it? <laughs> That's my question. Do they really get it? Like maybe they understand better than I do. See, this is, this is what it means to be like Christ, is to understand that these things come from him and they are for him. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this, and he, that's Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples. Disciple just means followers. He called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority. So the authority that they had was not in themselves. It wasn't, hey, we're smarter, or even, hey, we're trained. What Jesus was training them to do was to, like, raise the dead. Like, how do you practice that? To heal from, like, leprosy, to make the lame walk. How do you practice that? You can't. God does it all he, these disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles, okay, 
So disciple is a follower, one who is committed to this teacher whose life is going to be transformed so that the disciple is like his master. It doesn't have to be a, a Christian thing. An apostle, though, is different. An apostle it could be the same, but the word apostle and the word disciple are not, they were disciples and they became apostles because they grew up. The word apostle actually comes from the Greek word meaning to send. That's why you're not an apostle if you're just learning. You're just a disciple. We're sitting in here and we're disciples. And then sometimes Jesus apostles his disciples. So when Paul says, I, an apostle, meaning I am one who has been sent, not I've got some kind of freaky gift or some freaky authority, it's no. Jesus Christ has commissioned and sent me. I'm a disciple of his that he has sent. Okay? So you need to understand that connection here. So the names of the 12 ones that he sent are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Judas Iscariot, by the way, is on this list. You got a real weird list here. And Judas is going to go out and do all of these things. How? By the authority of Jesus, even Judas Iscariot is going to be doing things. I love to point out to people, I promise you, the disciples are shocked at the end of his life that Judas is the one who's going to betray him, which means this in part, that during the ministry of Judas, he was doing everything the other apostles were doing. When Jesus said, one of you is gonna betray me, they would go, yeah, I bet you it's Judas. Have you noticed he hasn't raised anybody from the dead ever? <laughs> he can't get anyone healed. It's just not sticking with him. Have you noticed that? Like they're shocked. They don't know who. Just think about that for a second. The one who would betray him. God graced him to be a part of this incredible ministry. And this message that they would bring, as we wrap this up, this message that they would bring, this is, I want you to just, just kind of put your head around this for a moment. Because this sounds really exciting. You know, we're taking up this offering for Stillwater Cares. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to be sent out. We're going to be ambassadors of God. It's going to be wonderful. And the message of the gospel, the message that they bring, the message of the gospel is going to bring both peace and condemnation. Peace, condemnation. Do those fit aside for you? We need to be people of peace and condemnation. That, that second one is just gross. It sounds so judgmental. The, the number one sin of the world today even though we all do it and pretend we don't. Because I hate those people who are so judgmental. I'm so much better than all those people who are so judgmental. I'm, I'm serious. Try to talk about how wrong it is to be judgmental without making a judgment. Maybe one of the worst forms of judgmental behavior is to pronounce judgment against those who are pronouncing judgment like you're superior to them. By the way, I'm, I'm against judgmentalism. Totally against it. I think it's unchristian. But that doesn't mean that in the midst of this, and I, you know, I want you to read these final words of the text, are very real. And whenever God speaks, whenever, every time I preach, I believe that there are some in this room that find peace. There should be, every time I preach, there should be someone who finds peace and someone who finds condemnation. 
seriously? Dude, chill. Like, I don't understand why you're taking this so seriously. Like, because what I'm saying has eternal significance. Like, at the very end of my message, hey, we want to have a faith conversation with you. Because I've shared the gospel with you. And if you, you think I'm just, like, giving you an option amongst other options, then I don't think you understand the gospel. And by the way, the worst thing that you can do, the worst thing that you can do is to look at God's gift of his son and say, no thank you, I'm good, I've got another plan, I really am, I'm, 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 I'm okay, I want, I'm glad it works for you. Verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out, he apostled them, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, so don't go to the Gentiles, yet by the way, they're gonna go to the Gentiles, but not now. Don't want, I don't wanna get into exactly why. I believe that primarily it has to do with the Jewish receptivity at the time. Hey, listen, we're not, we're not finishing everything now. We're just doing a small little piece. I want you to go out. I don't need you to run to Syria. What I want you to do is I want you to stay here for now. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We got our own problems. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Everything you got was a gift. Therefore, don't, I'll heal your son for 20 bucks. So I'm always creeped out by pastors who somehow have turned it into a lifestyle. Just saying. And if I ever do, tell my wife, she'll have me in trouble. And my mom, oh, my mom would go crazy. Okay, now, but by the way, let's look how this even continues on. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. So it does say this. I, I want you to learn and to get an understanding of the dependency that you have on those that you share the gospel with. So in the, in the end, I don't want you to try to acquire this. I want you to learn to be dependent upon me and dependent upon those who receive your message with peace. See, that's what the Bible wants us to learn. Not independence, not dependence, but interdependence. It's why one of the reasons why Andrew and I love to give to this church, okay? We give to this church, why? Because I'm really, really grateful for what our children's ministry does with our children and what our youth ministry does with our youth and what our college ministry does. How many of you are, are, are pleased with our college ministry and what they're doing to college students? Raise your hand. Okay, and so we give to that. It's, it's, it's very natural. So it, it's not about gaining wealth, but it is about what? It is about providing for those. Who? That's what Jesus is saying right here. And then he says, and this is where it gets interesting, verse 11, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy. That worthy doesn't mean that they're rich or powerful or smart. It just means that they're receptive. Those who are receptive to the gospel receive it. And those who reject the gospel, and this is the part that just, you gotta kind of get your head around this. Whoever is worthy in it, stay there until you depart. Don't climb some kind of social ladder. Stay there. And as you enter a house, greet it. And in, in Jewish cultures, shalom, peace. And they mean it. I, I pray God's peace upon this house. So greet it, and if the house is worthy, meaning if they receive you, then let your peace go upon it. But if it is not worthy, meaning if they reject you, then let your peace return to you. Shalom. Animosity, anger. And the shalom comes back, and the peace is not something that they experience. 
And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town. For truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, where everyone died. Everyone died. Because the, the town was so wicked and so evil. And in, in eternity, what, what did you do? That We were terrible. We were violent. We, 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 we literally were, we, we stole. We, we hurt people. We sacrificed our children to the gods. This is how bad we were. And he says here, for those people who do not receive the disciples, it'll be better for those people than for them. But let me just tell you again, this has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with who's preaching. It doesn't. To reject the gospel when you stand before God, it would be better. Oh, please make me just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then I'll have it easier. Just let that sit on you for a moment. It's why, like, what, what I'm doing up here, whoever's preaching, it's like why we care so much about it. Because if you get it, you find a peace that passes all understanding. And if you reject it, can you imagine? Think about this biblically. Like, what, what you gotta get on your knees and hope for is that God will be as nice to you as he judges you for eternity as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. It's the responsibility. It's like, so when I'm saying at the end of the service, hey, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. We mean that. Because these faith conversations matter. So I just want to close with this challenge. That in its entirety, we, we know how much this message means. We know where the authority comes from. But what, I, what I want you to go away and to just kind of wrestle over this week is this. Does your life resemble a life that is committed to the ministry or in continuing the ministry of Jesus? Is that you? Do you look at your life and do you look at like the, the organization of your priorities? Do you look at how you care about things and invest in things? Do, do you go, yeah, my life matches like Jesus' life? And not just in the things that you don't do, but in the things that you do do. Like, do you have compassion for those who are in the crowd who don't know Jesus? Do you, do you have compassion for those who are in? Have I told you guys about this offering we're doing next week for Stillwater Cares? Like with compassion, does your heart break there? And, and are you moved in that direction? I would argue like the fullness of that, the fullness of that is what it means to be Christian. There are going to be things in our lives that will look different. Okay, there are both things because we're all called to different places. We're all called to different contexts. And so I, I want us to kind of lose this idea that what Jim is describing, these laborers who work in the harvest, it's all about being in full-time ministry. No, it's not. Although for those of you that want to be in it, I would love to talk to you about that. And there will be a few that God will call to that. But I want to talk about like, not just for the, for the differences that all of us have because we all work in different places and, and there are some of you that are just trying to figure out how to be a good mom. Because your kids are ready. It feels like they're trying to kill you. And God, <laughs> thank you, Allegra. Um, and that, but listen, but that is an incredible ministry where you're called to be like Christ and not kill them, but to die for them. To die for them. 
and college students, like how many of you are not gonna be here next week? Raise your hand, you're gonna be gone, right? You're gonna be gone, many of you are gonna be gone. You're going home. So it looks different. Like, so college students, as you go home, like remember who you are in Christ and live that way. Serve your mom and dad who don't know who Christ is. Tell them who he is. Don't just think they're gonna pick it up for the fact that you cleaned your room for the first time ever. Listen, it's a sweet gesture. It will not save your family. That's what I mean. Like some things are going to be the same. They're gonna be the same as Jesus because we are working by his power and for his glory. The kind of compassion that we share our motivation for doing it, not to appease our conscience, but to glorify God. That, that the joy that we have when we live like Jesus Christ in honor, not so that he will owe, but in honor of him who died for us. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. And I pray you do that. I pray you figure that out. I pray you come to saving faith. We pray for all of those things for you. And I don't know where you're all at. But I'll tell you one more time, this is serious. We're going to be right here, ready and wanting to talk with you. And if you want to, con or if you want to continue this faith conversation, know that God ultimately, but we too are here for you. Love you guys, God bless. For those of you that are leaving, we'll see you in August. Love you, peace out, word to your mother. <laughs>